Welcome to another episode of JG Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain at JG Ministries. Glad you joined us today. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to chapter 10, verse 25 of the book of Luke, and let's get into it. Now, last time we finished the section of Jesus sending out the 70. We witnessed the woes to the cities and the joyous return of, this, of the 70. And this time we are going to experience Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan. And if we have time, we'll finish chapter 10 with the story of Mary and Martha. Now this parable, the Good Samaritan, requires the utmost care in its interpretation. It must neither be over-allegorized, as it was by the early church fathers, nor reduced to a simplistic meaning hardly worthy of Jesus' teaching. Above all, it must be understood in its context. So let's turn to verse 25 and let's begin. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? What is your reading of it? So he answered and said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered rightly. Do this, and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell among thieves, who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said to him, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? And he said, He who showed mercy on him. Then Jesus said to him, Go and do likewise. Now, in verse 25, the expertise of the man in this incident lay in details of the Jewish religion. The fact that he wanted to test Jesus may but does not necessarily indicate hostility. He addressed Jesus as teacher and asked him about eternal life, questions about achieving eternal life, and about the essence of the law were common in Judaism. And take note his assumption of human responsibility in the attainment of eternal life. And eternal life here means the life of the kingdom. The lawyer, an expert in the teachings of the law of Moses, was probably not sincere in his question. He was trying to trick the Savior, to put him thoroughly to the test. Perhaps he thought that the Lord would refuse to accept or be associated with the law, to deny the truth or validity of the law. To him, Jesus was only 
a teacher. And eternal life was something that he thought he could earn or merit. And leading us into verses 26 to 28, the Lord took all this into consideration when he answered him. If the lawyer had been humble and penitent, the Savior would have answered him more directly. Under the circumstances, Jesus directed his attention to the law. What did the law demand? It demanded that man love the Lord supremely and his neighbor as himself. And Jesus told him that if he did this, he would live. Now, Jesus's counter question does not constitute an affirmation of the assumption behind the question, but directs the questioner back to the comments of the Old Testament or uh, the Old Command uh, to the commandments of the Old Testament, which are not only his spatial field, but also ultimate source of religious knowledge. The expert on the law answers Jesus's question by quoting. A commandment. The answer is satisfactory so far as it goes, for it is based on the Old Testament. The words as yourself will provide the crucial means of evaluating one's love of neighbor. The ultimate evaluation will have to be based on deeds, not words, as the parable shows. Now, Jesus affirms that the man has answered correctly. Now, this does not mean that the inquirer has grasped the full meaning of the law, nor does it endorse the idea held by many Pharisees that by keeping the law, a person can earn eternal life. At first, it might appear that the Lord was teaching salvation by law-keeping. Such was not the case. God never intended that anyone should ever be saved by keeping the law. The Ten Commandments were given to people who were already sinners. The purpose of the law is to show man what a guilty sinner he is. It is impossible for a sinful man to love God with all of his heart and his neighbor as himself. If he could do this from birth to death, he would not need salvation. He would not be lost. But even then, his reward would only be long life on earth, not eternal life in heaven. As long as he lived sinlessly, he would go on living. Eternal life is only for sinners who acknowledge their lost condition and who are saved by God's grace. Thus, Jesus' statement, do this and you will live, was purely hypothetical. If his reference to the law had its desired effect on the lawyer, he would have said, if that's what God requires, then I'm lost, helpless, and hopeless. I cast myself on your love and mercy. Save me by your grace. And we see in verse 29, instead of that, he sought to justify himself. Why should he? No one had accused him. There was a consciousness of fault, and his heart rose up in pride to resist. He asked, who is my neighbor? It was an evasive tactic on his part. The only way to justify oneself is to limit the extent of the law's demand and consequently limit one's own responsibility. This maneuver not only fails, but has an opposite effect. Jesus will change the man's very words, who is my neighbor, from a passive 
to an active sense. And we're going to see that in verse 36. It was in answer to that question that the Lord Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan here in verse 30. The details of the story are familiar. The robbery victim, almost certainly a Jew, lay half dead on the road to Jericho. The characters of the story must have had the same significance they had to the original hearers. The two religious persons act contrary to love, though not contrary to expectation. The priest returning from Jerusalem has been observing the law, though studious readers will recognize the neglect of mercy. Then we have a third character that appears, but unexpectedly, he is not just a layman in contrast to these clerical characters, but a Samaritan who is in contrast to the Jewish victim. The distance from Jerusalem to Jericho was about, or is about 17 miles. It descends sharply towards the Jordan River just north of the Dead Sea, and the road curves through some rugged, rocky terrain. And this is where robbers easily hid. And it was considered especially dangerous because of all these robbers laying in wait to try and rob somebody. Now, in verses 31 to 35, priests served in the temple. Their highest duty was to offer sacrifices. Now, the Levites assisted in the maintenance of the temple services and the order. The Jewish priest and the Levite, they refused to help. Perhaps they feared it was a plot or were afraid that they too might be robbed if they tarried, but we are not told why the priest and the Levite refused to help. But the point of the story seems to require that the priest and the Levite have no legitimate excuse. It was a hated Samaritan who came to the rescue, who applied first aid, who took the victim to an inn and made provision for his care. This Samaritan took pity on this man and took pity implies a deep feeling of sympathy, a striking response that stands in contrast not only to the attitude of the priest and the Levite, but also to the usual feelings of hostility between Jews and Samaritans. They were enemies. This pity is translated into sacrificial action. The Samaritan probably used pieces of his own clothing to make bandages that we see in verse 34. He used his own wine as a disinfectant and his own oil as a soothing lotion. He put the man on his own donkey and he paid the innkeeper out of his own pocket with his own money with a promise to pay more if needed. So in verse 36, the New Testament parables aim to lead one to a decision. And Jesus's question in this verse forces the expert in the law to voice his decision. In Jesus' question, Jesus focuses on the person who loved the Samaritan, who made himself a neighbor. Now, this reversal of the expert's question that we saw in verse 29 provides in itself the key to the meaning of the parables and to Jesus' teaching on love. Now, love should not be limited by its object. Its extent and quality are in the control of its subject. Furthermore, 
Love is demonstrated in action, in this case, in an act of mercy. And yes, it may be costly. There is a striking reversal of roles here. We have the Jewish expert who would have thought of the Jewish victim as a good person and the Samaritan as an evil one. Now, to a Jew, there was no such person as a good Samaritan. And to the Samaritan, a Jew in need was, or to this Samaritan, a Jew in need was his neighbor. Now, the Savior asked the inescapable question, which of the three proved neighbor to the helpless man? The one who showed mercy, of course. Yes, of course. Then the lawyer should go and do likewise. If a Samaritan could prove himself a true neighbor to a Jew by showing mercy to, the, to him, then all men are neighbors. And the expert in verse 37 cannot avoid the thrust of the parable though he apparently finds it impossible to say the word Samaritan in his reply. Jesus now refers back to the original question. What must I do? By saying, go and do likewise. God does not bestow the life of the kingdom on people who reject the command to love. Such rejection shows that they have not truly recognized how much they need the love of God themselves. It is not difficult for us to see in the priest and Levite a picture of the powerlessness of the law to help the dead sinner. The law commanded love your neighbor as yourself, but it did not give the power to obey. Neither is it difficult to identify the Good Samaritan with the Lord Jesus who came to where we were and are and saved us from our sins, and made full provision for us from earth to heaven and through all eternity. Now, priests and Levites may disappoint us, but the Good Samaritan never does. And the story of the Good Samaritan had an unexpected twist to it. It started off to answer the question, who is my neighbor? But it ended by posing the question, to whom do you prove yourself a neighbor? And this is one of the most superb illustrations of human kindness in all literature. Luke had just told us about Jesus' being rejected by the Samaritans before this parable. And here is Jesus' reaction. He makes a Samaritan the example of love for all future ages. Now, we move on to another section, the home of Martha and Mary. But I want to save that small section for next time. We'll finish that section, and then we will start chapter 11 and get into the prayer that Jesus teaches the disciples, more commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So until next time, God bless you, and keep living Christian strong.